You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 123 of the Comic Book Informer podcast. We are recording on May 14th. As usual, I'm Vince, along with Roger. How are things going today, man? I could stand to read a couple original comic books. That's that's how I'm doing right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Give you a clue, an insight into how this conversation is going to go. <laughs> well, the actual conversation we're having is we're talking about the recent extermination crossover that uh, just wrapped up in Marvel. And I, I actually thought they'd used every single possible X pun over the course of the 90s and early 2000s, but I guess I was mistaken on this one. Jesus, everything. Oh, yeah. No, it's... <laughs> I, <laughs> I could see this coming the moment it was they were saying that they were going to be wrapping it up and everything and it's just such a convoluted mess and it's I don't, you can talk about it for a while and then I'll just give my <laughs> okay. thoughts yeah so the event consisted of uh Two, I don't want to call them original issues, whatever you want to call them, the actual two extermination issues, which were the bookends to the event, as well as Astonishing X-Men, Age of Apocalypse, and Extreme X-Men, which uh, the latter two are now canceled as of the end of this event. Uh, writers for this were David Lapham, who had been writing Age of Apocalypse, Marjorie Liu, who is still writing Astonishing X-Men, and Greg Pak from Extreme X-Men, and... Every artist working for Marvel, I think, was on this at some point. I I'm, I would name some names, but we have a timeline to meet here because there there were multiple artists per issue, let alone you know all the stuff they had going on there. And that was really my biggest problem with this was with the crossover between the art and the multiple writers all having different styles. It was very non cohesive. Like ev- everything was just kind of doing its own thing and. In the end, they all kind of ended up in the same place somehow. Well, yeah, but that is that's it, it works with the writing because that's what the writing was. Mm-hmm. The, the writing, t- to me at least, felt like it was all over the place. And I'm sure that some of that had to do with the fact that they were trying to convey the magnitude of what was happening in that it was complete chaos with all of these events. But as a reader, when you're reading it, especially going through the the various issues and trying to keep track of the story thus far as has been happening it was just it just felt like such a jumbled mess mm-hmm. and it it really didn't feel like a it didn't feel like the ending that those series deserved which isn't to Absolutely. say it wasn't grand enough in scope because they tried to make it insanely grand in scope like bigger than anything else like all the multiverses are gone but again it it just because of the way it was written it was just and and maybe it's because there were too many you know there were too many cooks in the kitchen and everybody's got their hands in there to try to you know make it something make it their own kind of thing and it just felt like it was all over the place and then it also ended so abruptly Mm-hmm. And so well, in a corny way, too. 
Well, we've seen the multiple writer thing work well in the past. Um, last year, we were talking about the Circle of Four crossover, which had, what was it, X-23, Red Hulk, Ghost Rider, and Venom. So you had all of those different writers working together, and the story worked overall. So it, it can be done. Oh, definitely. But not this. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> so be- before we get into the crossover itself, kind of a little catch-up. Uh, We've both been reading Extreme X-Men and both loving it. Like, I know oh, I am yeah. heartbroken that it's been canceled. Yeah. There were so many fresh, interesting ideas going on there. But that was uh, the team led by Dazzler uh, and various uh, interdimensional versions of the X-Men who have been, you know, bouncing around the multiverse trying to save everything from all the evil Xaviers. Uh, we also had the Age of Apocalypse, which... Uh, kind of sprang out of the uh, Uncanny X-Force when they jaunted over there quickly and picked up there with uh, Wolverine becoming the new Apocalypse, uh, Weapon Omega, he was calling himself, and the human resistance to take him down because you know all the mutants are pretty much on their side. And the few mutants resisting we saw in Uncanny X-Men either died or were depowered uh, in the forms of Jean Grey and Sabretooth were two of the main players here. So that was, I I wasn't reading it regularly, but I was just kind of keeping up on it. And it wasn't a fantastic series, but it was something so different from the rest of anything else Marvel was putting out that I did find it frequently enjoyable. It was. The only problem with that too is that I found a lot of those storylines as well felt convoluted just for the sake of being Mm -hmm. convoluted. So that's kind of what put me off on it. And maybe that's what, continued through this kind of thing, um, this final event. But some of it was very good, but I did find that it jumped around too much. It was, it wasn't a a smooth read. You felt like you were on a very rough roller coaster ride kind of thing. And it just, it wasn't as enjoyable as what I'd hoped it would be because of the events leading up to it. Mm -hmm. The story for me kind of reached a point where they realized, oh crap, we're getting canceled. (laughs) <laughs> and had a lot to wrap up that they, they had planned out longer because the, the last like five or six issues were at such a quick pace. But also there, like aside from Gene and Sabretooth, none of the characters really interested me. They were all just kind of variations on the same thing, like theme. Like I honestly, even now, couldn't tell you like who was who as far as like their names. Like right. they were just fairly interchangeable characters for me. Well, yeah, there there was nobody that really stood out that much. And and the characters that that could have stood out more were kind of well, case in point, Nightcrawler was spending more time, you know, in our universe than in that universe mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. So I don't know. It was again, it wasn't one that I followed through the entire thing just because of what I was feeling about the writing. Yeah. And then Astonishing X-Men, I I haven't been reading it. It's another generic X-Men book with characters that aren't being used elsewhere and characters that are being used elsewhere because nobody's going to buy a book of X-Men characters that aren't featured in another X-Men title, apparently. Well, the Astonishing X-Men, I did keep up with to a certain degree kind of thing. And where it really was starting to drag insanely was when they were spending all that time on Northstar. And it's like, the character is an egocentric, you know, jackass for the most part. Yeah, he's changed and he's not as much a jackass, but he sure was in the early days. And it's never a character that, I don't care if he's Canadian, it's never a character really I found that interesting kind of thing. And uh, and so she spent so much time on the wedding and then the relationship afterwards and everything else that it just, again, I like I said, felt like it was being shoved down your throat. The irony here, though, is that had we gotten more extreme X-Men, 
and gotten more background on the relationship between um, Hullet and and Hercules. Oh man, I would have loved that. I would have absolutely loved that because the characters were so engaging. It was the characters that were fun to read. Whereas again, in Astonishing X-Men, Northstar, and I can't even remember what his partner's name or husband's name now, I should say, uh, is. I can't remember what it was. But they were both really bland, generic people that I had no use for. You mean they haven't killed him yet? I don't know because I, I <laughs> read he's still alive. That's got to be some sort of record. There was, there was the, the story arc where he was in huge danger and everything like that. And I read that one up until the end. And then it was like, I pretty much had maybe not till the end. I don't know. But I, um, so I think I missed a couple of issues before this took over in, mm-hmm. in the series. And, uh, and I'd been reading quite a bit up until then. And that's, it just kind of really put me off because it was so freaking boring. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, into the actual extermination itself, it starts off with the Age of Apocalypse version of Nightcrawler, who we most recently saw again in Uncanny X-Force uh, when he betrayed Wolverine and the other team and the rest of the team in order to get his revenge on the Age of Apocalypse version of Blob, who killed his wife. And that, that was his main reason for coming to our universe was to take out the other refugees that had taken, uh, taken place here. So once he got his revenge, now he just wants to go home. So the only person he can turn to is the Dark Beast, which is, again, the Age of Apocalypse version of our beast who hangs out in our universe. And our, like, I live there. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Here. The real stuff. <laughs> who hangs out in the, in the traditional Marvel universe a lot of the time, just raising ruckus. So he convinces Dark Beast to find a way to open a portal home. They end up going to the Sleeping Celestial that's been in San Francisco forever and using that as their, their gateway But as we come to find out with all of the shenanigans going on with the evil Xaviers and everything, with the extreme X-Men hopping realities so frequently, the boundaries are a little thin uh, between the dimensions. So when they open the portal, something goes wrong. Nightcrawler doesn't care, jumps through anyway. And that's basically the straw that broke the camel's back. It rips everything open. And now these mysterious invaders, I, I don't think they were even named in the miniseries, weren't they? Were they? I don't think so. They, but they I'm were not just the I'm, bad guys. Yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. <laughs> who, who have been imprisoned in the spaces between the dimensions yeah, exactly. are, are now <sighs> bursting through. And I, they could not have come up with a more generic threat for this miniseries. <laughs> yeah, big bad guys that are the worst things ever. But this whole concept of they were imprisoned in the space between. And you go, what? Come on. What is that all about? It just, it didn't. It just didn't work for me at all. (laughs) As we discover later on in the story, uh, they were created by the Celestials when they were, you know, creating everything in the universe because, you know, they needed, while the Celestials were a source of creation, they needed that balance of something of destruction. So they created these things. But as we've seen in pretty much every comic ever, they, of course, go bad and the Celestials can't even defeat them. So we actually got an interesting little bit of like Marvel Universe lore here of that's why the multiverses were created. The the Celestials had to create multiple universes in order to have a place to put these things. So that was nifty, but I mean, it's ultimately going to be a very forgettable footnote given the, uh, the, the height of the miniseries that we saw here. Yeah, and see, I didn't even think it was that interesting. It was... It's a footnote, but yeah, it's there. <laughs> and again, it's borrowing from so much. Like, I mean, I was seeing so much of Fringe in this as well kind no, of they're, thing. They're, and, they're and, basically uh, the Manhunters from Green Lantern, if yeah. nothing else. So, yeah, it just... Nothing about this really was something that... Like, even though 
everything is being threatened. It was so kind of bleh. And so we, we've seen this before and we know nothing's going to happen. How do we know? Because you're threatening everything. So of course <laughs> it's going to be fine. You know, and they're so, still publishing comics next week. So. Yeah. It, it was just, I don't know. It, and they made them up to just be like the ultimate combination of threats because they absorb any energy you throw at them. They heal from almost any wound instantly and they're surrounded by some sort of acid cloud, so you can't even get close to them. <laughs> See, one of the things really? that one of pick the things one. that I pick also one. didn't like is that um, let's take for example the uh, the last Jonathan Mayberry Marvel Universe versus where Doom was the villain, and what really helped you root for the protagonists and really be interested in what's going on with Doom was the character of Doom. There was character there. There was, you know, there was real emotion. There was someone that you could pin a whole bunch of different things on and say, he's this, he's this, he's this. Whereas these guys, they're garbage cans. They're literally, you know, something out of the original (laughs) Battlestar Galactica, the garbage cans. There's nothing. There's no personality. There's no nothing. All it is is they're sucking all of your life. But that's it. So really, it's such a bland antagonist that you can't really care about the story. Mm-hmm. So with them being such a huge threat, of course, the body count starts piling up. The minute they show up, they blow away uh, the floating Xavier head. <laughs> uh, yeah. Over the course, we see uh, Horror Show and Sabretooth, who is his father, because Horror Show is the... Uh, Name Great and Creed is going by. You know, they sacrifice themselves to be a diversion, which it, it, it was a little bit of character there because we saw over the course of Age of Apocalypse their strained relationship. And I don't want to say it was healed, but they at least kind of reached an understanding. And yeah, you know, that was kind of their big send off. It was, it, it, there was nothing to it. It was like two panels. Yeah. And we see, we see that later when, uh, Hercules sacrifices himself so that uh, Kurt can get both of the Wolverines away. That one at least had a little more merit because but even then we, we, we loved that. Hercules. Yeah. Yeah. We loved him, but there was <laughs> not, so not, not little. because it was terribly well written just no. because we loved. Him. Yeah, exactly. The only one that they, that they obviously spent enough time on was kid Kurt. I mean, oh. they really went out of their way for that and for, for good reason, because it's the fan favorite kind of thing. So He's the only one that I felt, okay, yeah, he, they, they really gave her hell. Like, they, this is good. But everybody else was so just a, a, like one or two panel kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So the whole point of the story here is that with, back in Age of Apocalypse, once they defeated uh, Weapon Omega, they managed to capture the death uh, persona so that it couldn't go into someone else. The apocalypse power couldn't go to someone else. They captured it in the death seed, which is uh, a thing we saw again in Uncanny X-Force. And they've just been kind of holding on to it because they know no matter who gains the power, ultimately it's going to be a bad thing. But they now recognize that that power is the only thing that can defeat these random nameless enemies and that Jean herself would be the perfect host because she has experience with, you know, world-destroying powers with the Phoenix and all that. But uh, as we see, that doesn't ultimately work out terribly well. But I do like that they gave Jean such a fantastic scale of power. She was beating up, you know, these random nameless villains, but they made it seem that 
you know, this was, she was really working the, the apocalypse power when she had it. Well, not just that, but that it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that she's going to die. Yeah. That she is sacrificing herself. And for the longest time, you're feeling like she's sacrificing herself for no reason either when you're seeing her and, and Kurt kind of thing. So, and again, these are moments that had we gotten a lot more of say her and Kurt at different points beforehand, it would have meant a lot more like that. The, 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 the scenes where it's her and Kurt trying to go after dark beast to get the seed back and things like that. And then the, the speaking and like whether or not she really should be doing this, like there, there should have been a lot more impact there, but there just wasn't. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, they basically decide that the only way they're going to stop these things is to give them a new universe to serve as their prison. So <laughs> I love how uh, Prophet basically is the, the, the one voice for an entire universe. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I've made the decision that this entire universe is now going to die. Yeah. Uh, they, they trap the, the things in the Age of Apocalypse. And as I said, it's not just Earth. I mean, it's the, the entire freaking universe. <laughs> and then manage to, to escape all the uh, survivors back into the regular Marvel universe. So now we have you know, a couple survivors. A couple stragglers. From, yeah, a couple stragglers from Age of Apocalypse kicking around the Marvel U. We still have uh, Howlett and Civil War Cyclops. And I, I need to read that story of the two of them going into Hades to bring yeah. Hercules back. I, I don't care. As long as it's well-written. Start yes. a Kickstarter or whatever you have to do. I need that story. <laughs> That I agree. As long as that's well handled and it's a good writer who's writing it, that has a potential to be an amazing little series. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, that does at least mean that there is another Wolverine hanging around somewhere. And in Wolverine and the X-Men somewhere at some point, you know, years down the road even, I really hope he pops up again because I, I liked the two of them together because – Howlett was kind of like, you know, the older Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, they, there were some fun interactions there. And it leads me to be hopeful that we can have some fun interactions again in the future. See, I was also really um, hopeful for what they can do with this Civil War Cyclops. Because if he sticks around and sees what's going on with this yeah. Cyclops, this universe's Cyclops, there could be a lot of fun to be had there as well. And the mm -hmm. characters are different enough that it would feel like another you know, another superhero, not a mirror copy of, of Cyclops. So that could be a hell of a lot of fun too. So I was, again, I was disappointed with like, once again, obliterating every version of Nightcrawler they can get their hands on. Seriously. But uh, <laughs> just when he's finally redeemed himself kind of thing. So it would, I think that, again, they, they, they wrote it in such a way that they could have cheated and kept one of them in this quote unquote real universe. And had fun with it and been able to play with it again. But no, it's all of them have got to die. But leave Dark Beast alive. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, so ultimately the, the, the crossover itself was completely forgettable. It just basically served as a tombstone for these two series. And although one thing that we did see uh, on the way back, Dark Beast did have a tiny little nugget of the Death Seed. Yeah. The Death Nugget, as he called it. And he hid it inside Iceman. That's not going to end well for anyone. <laughs> no, there's something going on there that for sure, yeah. <laughs> so is it that there there are a few seeds of a story that they can use for the future, but I mean as especially cuz we loved Extreme X-Men so much, if it was going to end, it it needed to end in a better way at least for at least for me. I agree. I completely agree. 
Yeah, Age of Apocalypse ending. Yeah, it's not it's not really going to be missed, but uh, it it is what it is. Well, when you look at the fact too that, and they make mention of this in the series as well, where at, at the end, um, Wolverine goes up to Dazzler and says, "Like, yeah, you really impressed me here. Like, I was not expecting this, and you got a job at the school if you want to." Kind <laughs> Neither of were we, Logan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this was so well done, the series as a whole, that a character that I've really had no use for ever. I'm talking about when I used to read comic books 25 years ago. I had when no she had use. the roller skates. Yeah, no use for her. So, and here you, you shaped the character into something that, wow, now I actually would like to see her in something. But the thing is, is I would like to see her in something almost exactly like what they were doing here. Yeah. So what are they going to do with her? Like where, where is she going to fit that we're going to appreciate her as much? Yeah. It's, I, I know that the sales weren't what they wanted for it, but I'm really disappointed that they didn't give that of all of them more time just to kind of grow and develop more of a following. Cause mm-hmm. I think that it was there. The potential was there throwing a couple of, you know, guest appearances in other series that do sell well so that it gets people interested in reading it more. The, the potential was there. It could have done better. Yeah. Can you imagine if you're reading like, let's say all new X-Men and you're like, well, wait, wait a second. What's up with black Cyclops and motorhead exactly. Wolverine? Like what, what's going that visually alone? They don't even have to do anything. They just gonna have to show up and that will spark people's interest. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that there were better marketing ways that they could have handled this to try to boost sales instead of just, well, it's not working. Can it? I mean, we're seeing far too much of that. I feel with, uh, with both DC and Marvel, where if it's immediately not reaching X amount in sales, boom, can it do something else? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, anyway, uh, moving on to what else we've been reading and actually carrying the thread uh, from here. I actually did read the uh, latest issue of Astonishing X-Men, issue 62, where we do see the death nugget affecting Bobby. Like, crazy. Like, the stuff we saw with, like, the sinister Iceman, that's nothing. He's like, there, there was a point where Mystique was taking a bath and all of a sudden the bath came alive and like grabbed her and like Iceman wasn't anywhere or nearby. Like he was, he was asleep. Like this is stuff's happening in his dreams. Like they are setting up some really crazy stuff for Iceman and the rest of the stuff going on. Somebody's calling all of Bobby's ex-girlfriends and they're showing up and it's causing, you know, some drama between him and Kitty. Like, okay. But Iceman turning evil in his dreams. That's a story. Already. Cool. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. Hmm. And the, the only other thing I wanted to talk about this week was uh, Avengers, the latest issue, issue 11. I loved this issue. Uh, the whole premise, and it's a great one-shot issue, which, we, which Hickman said he was going to be doing, you know, one-shot stories, you know, just taking bits of the cast where the, there's this big weapon sale going on and somewhere. It wasn't the, any of the usual places, but like it's this huge casino. So they send a group of the Avengers to, you know, try and figure out what's going on. So you get... Uh, who is it? Captain Marvel, Spider-Woman, Black Widow, Cannonball, and Sunspot. And, you know, they're just all living the high life, you know, in the high rollers club at the casino. It's so much fun. You know, you have Black Widow and Spider-Woman, you know, trying to seduce, uh, you know, some people. And of course that goes completely wrong because Black Widow and Spider-Woman are two very different people. You know, you have, uh, Captain Marvel is just gambling. And the best bit was, you know, with Cannonball and, 
Sunspot, they actually met up with some AIM guys who recognized them. And the AIM guys are just wearing their beekeeper helmets with their tuxedos. It was hilarious. But like, whoa, whoa, this is our night off. So you get the the, the five of them partying. <laughs> and I think at the end, Sunspot actually ends up hiring two of them to come work for him and his company. It was a lot of fun. But interspersed with all that, you also had Shang-Chi on the mission. And half the issue was this amazing kung fu battle. And as we've seen, anytime Shang-Chi shows up, uh, we loved him and, you know, stuff like Spider Island and all this other stuff. I love the character. I mean, I just love, you know, all that old kung fu style, like movie stuff. So the the Shang-Chi martial arts portions with his narration on top and actually showing him evolving because Tony Stark built him a pair of nunchucks. Freaking awesome. I loved it. Hmm. Okay. Definitely have to check that out. Mm-hmm. And uh, were you able to scrape anything together? Well, you see, the reason why, and I told you, <laughs> <laughs> A, it's been a hard week. And I've been and we, we've all been there. Heavily medicated all week and not able to do too much. But what I've been able to handle and really enjoy, a while back, my son got into Calvin and Hobbes. Mm-hmm. And when I was... His age, of course, I'd ripped through all of the trades of that and all that. And I have a whole bunch of them in the library. So he started reading those. So I thought, yeah. So I started reading them again. And you know what? It holds <laughs> after, up. After the crap that we read in so many <laughs> comic books, I got to tell you, sitting down and reading some Calvin and Hobbes, and it does still hold up. I've been doing a lot of that lately. So I'll be more prepared for next week. But this week, that, no, it was that, a crap that load of Calvin and Hobbes. Well spent. You, you earned that. Yeah. <laughs> And just on that uh, thread, anybody uh, should go on YouTube and look up the gritty reboot of Calvin and Hobbes. That's hilarious. I'll have to check that out. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, there's a YouTube channel. I forget what they're called, but they basically do gritty reboots of, you know, video games and and classic stuff. And they did one of Calvin and Hobbes that on one hand looked like the worst movie ever made. But on the other hand, it's on purpose. So it's very enjoyable. Cool. All right. So as for the new releases we're looking forward to this week, it's a reasonably conservative list, which is very nice. Marvel brings us Age of Ultron number eight. We have the first issue of Avengers The Enemy Within, which is a crossover between Captain Marvel and Avengers Assemble. Really looking forward to that. We have Cable and X-Force number eight, FF number seven, Iron Man number 10. Nova, number four. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm still amazed. You know what? We never would have called that, especially no. you. You really no. didn't want anything oh, I, to do I with was, it. I was ready to start like a road trip up to Marvel to, 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 to be angry <laughs> Tell at the smart up. <laughs> we have Ultimate Spider-Man, number 23, which we are really looking forward to. Wolverine and the X-Men, number 29, and X-Factor, number 256. That's still a solid week. Oh, yeah. From DC, I'll admit I stretched a bit here just so I would have something something to talk about. (laughs) We have issue 20s for Batgirl, Nightwing, Supergirl, and Wonder Woman, as well as some other stuff. But, I mean, come on. (laughs) And actually, it's it's a pretty pretty slow week all around because the only other stuff I have is all from Dynamite, believe it or not. We have Battlestar Galactica number one. Really? which, Which is actually going back to the old series, not even the new series. Uh, we have Pathfinder number seven and Voltron number 12. That's awesome. Say, Battlestar Galactica. Dude, dude yeah. we're, I'm talking about that next week. <laughs> and, and Dynamite does that retro stuff really Very well. Like well, we saw yes. with, you know, Flash Gordon, some of the stuff they've been doing with like Green Hornet. Like, you know, they, they do that retro style. That's, that's kind of their niche and they do it well. Cool. 
All right, so that's all for us here this week. As always, you can find us online at comicbookconformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer. And until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>